0: 4, First John chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 4 through 7, and at this time the children ages 3 to 8 are free to be dismissed for a children's Bible lesson, going out with Miss Michelle Byers, I believe this morning, and her mother-in-law it looks like too. So on page number 959 in your pew Bibles, if you uh, are using a pew Bible, as we look at First John chapter 4, just two verses. As I mentioned in the introduction and the announcements time, I'm preaching this Advent season on a different subject, just um, hope, love, joy and peace, which work with our Advent candle. And so this morning we're looking at love. Last week it was hope, this morning love. And what better than to read a passage written by the one who referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved which was the disciple named John. Uh, Six times he calls himself in the Gospel of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so we'll look at his words from 1 John chapter 4, just these two verses, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, please open our eyes now that we might behold wonderful things from this your word. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Sometimes during the week I'll ask people, and I like to especially ask non-Third Presbyterian Church people, um, A question that has to do with the subject upon which I'm preaching the upcoming Sunday. And so this week I was able to ask a few folks and um, it's always interesting the answers you get. This week my question for folks, non-churched folks generally is who I'm trying to ask here is my question was what's your definition of love? What's your definition of love? And the reality is, I got lots of different answers. There wasn't any one particular thing that everybody seemed to agree upon, or one particular thing that everybody said. And I have to say, I actually like that. I, I, I appreciate that. Certainly, as we look at the Bible, we see that there are different words, Greek words, that we translate into English as love. There's the Greek word eros which stands for a type of romantic love of desire. Then there's phileo, which is a brotherly love, where those who are from Philadelphia appreciate that word because the city, the Philadelphia, phileo, is known as the city of brotherly love. And then there's agape. <clears throat> and agape is that selfless love that is unconditional. So love wears many different hats or you might could say love uh, has many different looks or it it has different colored hats. There's not necessarily just one specific way to think about love. No, No one size fits all definition of love. So let me just try to work through this subject, this topic of love with three questions. First of all, what is love? What is love? And my answer is very simply, at least for starters here, I'll say more in a minute. Love is superior. Love is ultimate. Love is the greatest. Now, I get that in part from verse 8 here in this passage, which tells us that God is love. So whatever God is, is superior, is ultimate, is the greatest. Superior to what? I mean, what are the things that compete with love? You can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to get a little bit of an answer. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, let me read these verses. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So let's think about this in answer to the question, what are the things that compete with love? First of all, love is superior to spiritual experiences. Verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, many people have a spiritual experience of some sort that they can recall. But the Bible teaches that if they don't have love, it was not really a spiritual experience, but just kind of an emotional experience. Without love, it's not a spiritual experience. It's just uh, an emotional experience. And love is superior to all experiences. Recently, at, at, I think it was over Thanksgiving, maybe even Thanksgiving night. I don't know how we got to talking about it. But with the family, the kids, Lisa and I were telling our kids about how when we were growing up and in high school, um, there would be a youth retreat with the church. And you'd go out somewhere into the woods or a lake or, you know, something like that. And then, you know, you'd have lots of stuff going on during the week. And then Friday night of, of the end of, the, re- of the, the conference or the camp or the retreat or whatever, then you'd, you know, you'd, you'd be around the campfire. The youth minister would play his guitar and he'd sing Kumbaya. And they didn't know that that was really a song, that there really is a song called Kumbaya. So if if you're under a certain age, then that's news to you, but it really is. And I'm probably not the only one here who has been around a campfire singing Kumbaya. And of course, what would happen is people would start crying. Uh, You know, if you're maybe in a charismatic circle, then they might be speaking in tongues people would make commitments to christ or recommitments or they would dedicate themselves to the lord or they'd dedicate themselves to the lord and of course two weeks later everybody was back doing the exact same thing they were before there was absolutely no change in their life long term it was just a quote spiritual experience of some sort without love spiritual experiences are worthless according to first corinthians 13 love is superior And then second, we see that love is superior to spiritual fruitfulness. Not just spiritual experiences, but spiritual fruitfulness. And it says in verse 2, if I have prophetic powers, but have not love, I am nothing. In other words, being a spiritual leader, a spiritual influencer, requires love. Without love, you really aren't a spiritual leader or a spiritual influencer. This week I saw where a former pastor of a Baptist megachurch in Georgia uh, who confessed to some sexual improprieties a number of years ago. I can't remember. It wasn't like it was 40 years ago, but it, it wasn't just two years ago. I think it was something in between there, maybe maybe five or ten years ago if I remember correctly. But anyway, he he confessed some to some sexual immorality. And then the report this week was that he was reinstated to ministry uh, his position leadership position in ministry and the article notes a piece of recent history uh in the southern baptist church it 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 reads as part of a series of actions meant to deal with sexual abuse southern baptists passed a resolution in 2021 saying that any pastors guilty of abuse should be banned from the ministry and either in the next paragraph or one that was shortly after that one that i just read um I read these words in the recent video and the re, the video was of the the pastor's accountability team or restoration team, a group of pastors who were trying to help this guy out. In the recent video, the pastors paid tribute to, and they said his name, uh, saying he had done more to help pastors than anyone they knew serving on his spiritual care team. They said was a way of repaying him for all he had done in the past, noting that for years he had run a program that restored more than 400 fallen pastors To ministry. I I guess I just read that and I thought, well, this is just sort of an example of spiritual fruitfulness sort of trumping character. And in particular, of course, love. We we say that. We we say this kind of thing about pastors, spiritual leaders. Well, they've been so fruitful. The Lord has used them so mightily. 1 Corinthians 13 teaches that. This sort of character, love in particular, is more important than spiritual experiences. It's more important than spiritual fruitfulness. And then third, we see that love is superior to spiritual knowledge. Again, verse 2, if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. In other words, it is very possible to know your Bible inside and out and lack love. To know your Bible inside and out does not guarantee that you will have love. When I was growing up, sometimes, and if you grew up in um, maybe a more like a Maybe a Church of Christ setting or an independent uh, Baptist setting um, where they they really get you to know your Bible as well. One of the things that you would do uh, with the children is you would have and practice what was called sword drills. And a sword drill uh, is where you have the the children in the Sunday school class either lined up or sitting in... um, in in chairs. And I see some of you smiling who didn't grow up in in Baptist churches, so maybe this happened in your Methodist church, your Presbyterian church as well. But um but you would but what you do is you'd have your Bible there and so somebody up front, the teacher or whatever, would say first John four. And so, boom, everybody's going as fast as they can to find 1 John 4, and the first one to find it stands up or raises their hand or something like that. So you have sword drill. That was the goal, is to get, because the Bible's a big old book, and lots of, it's a library, really, with lots of books in it. And so you're, you know, it takes a little while getting used to figuring this thing out and knowing what's what. And so you would have these, you would practice these sword drills. Sword drills. Well, the reality is, Bible knowledge, knowing where 1 John is and where it's different from Ezra, that doesn't guarantee love you can know those things really well and be you could be get the blue ribbon in the sword drill and not have love love is superior to spiritual experiences spiritual fruitfulness and spiritual knowledge and then finally fourth love is superior to spiritual zeal again first corinthians 13 if i give away All I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I am nothing. I gain nothing. You can leave your friends. You can leave your family and and go to uh, Timbuktu as a missionary and do that without love. You can serve food to the homeless every Saturday morning and you can do that. Lacking love. And it means you gain nothing. So love, first of all, is superior. It is superior to spiritual experiences and spiritual fruitfulness, spiritual knowledge, and spiritual zeal. Love is superior. Second, love is... Behavior, um, well i 'm getting lost here in my notes um, all right love is love is superior that 's my first point my second question uh, is um, uh, oh my second point, okay <laughs> sorry, you know sometimes you have some bad days in the pulpit um, uh, so first of all, love is superior, and my face is red now so <laughs> First of all, love is superior. and uh, Secondly, love is behaviors. I'm still answering the question, what is love? Love is superior and love is behaviors. And I'm pointing this out because I'm going to read First Corinthians here in just a minute. But I'm also pointing out because most of us have had our ideas of what love is shaped by movies like When Harry Met Sally and 500 Days of Summer. And Sleepless in Seattle, and, and You've Got Mail, and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, and The Proposal. And we, we watch these movies, and it shapes our definitions of love. That's what we think love is. But we need to have our ideas of love shaped by the Lord. First Corinthians 13 gives us some instruction. Love is patient, it says in verse 4. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What are, the, what are these things? These things are behaviors. They're ways of treating people. And certainly we want to have feelings for others. We want to have warmth and affection and tenderness toward them. But love is seen in our behaviors, how we treat people. In other words, it doesn't matter how much you say, I love you so much, if you still act like a jerk. (laughs) I've seen husbands tell their wives, I love you so much. But then, you know, they hit the bar every night on the way home and and arrive and arrive drunk or nearly drunk or they say i love you but then they spend all their their money on on golf clubs or fishing boats or while the house is in disrepair and the, and the wife is lonely that's not love you may have some sentimental feelings there for your spouse but it's not love without right actions it's not love without proper behaviors william shakespeare said, they do not love that do not show their love. That's a really profound statement. They do not love that do not show their love. That's exactly what John is saying here in 1 John chapter 4. You know, we'll hear sometimes it said of someone, he or she, they're so loving. And that's better than people running around saying, man, he's such a jerk. But but usually that is a reference to one's demeanor it might be certainly to their actions but it's usually a reference to their demeanor we need to think that loving is behaviors more than demeanors you know like like we we in a sense should ask the question when someone says man he is so loving or she's so loving how how are they loving well, they're they're so loving by the way they provide for them or by the way they protect them. We, in a sense, we need to add a word or add a sentence after the word loving. He is loving blank. He is loving in this way or that way or the other way. Love is behaviors. The great thing about loving behaviors is it's a way that you can really kind of test yourself to see how you're loving matter of fact if you want to see how you're doing insert your name in the 1st Corinthians 13 passage I'll show you how it's done I'll use me as an example put my name in here Michael is patient and kind Michael does not envy or boast Michael is not arrogant or rude How, how how does it work when you put your name in there hunter does not insist on his own way anton is not irritable or resentful you know on and on we do michael does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth michael bears all things michael believes all things michael hopes all things michael endures all things you put your name in there how do you do that's how we can tell how we're doing because love is behaviors and love is superior now, second question. How does love act? <clears throat> How does love act? Well, it certainly acts like First Corinthians 13. I was just mentioning that, but I want to add three things. Number one, love is never contrary to God's law. I put a quote in the Friday email that was sort of along these lines. Love is never contrary to God's law. This seventh verse of First John chapter 4, again, it reads, "...for love is from God." Love will always be consistent with God, His person, His character, His name. It will always be consistent with the Bible. Actions that are contrary to the Bible are not love. Actions that are contrary to the Bible are not love. There's a popular slogan today that you'll see, and it's just simply, love is love. And I think best I can tell what that means is that um, any relationship really is acceptable... So long the people involved in that relationship have romantic le- feelings for one another and it's consensual. And as long as that, that you have that, then anything goes. But whatever is contrary to God's law is not love. Years ago I read this and I've kept it handy. I don't remember where I got it, but I just think it's so good. There never was such a thing as a loving, adulterous couple. Nor was there there ever yet a loving homosexual couple. Accomplices? Yes. Co-conspirators? Co-perpetrators? Sure. But loving? Never. Love is a commitment to the good of the other. And rebellion against God is never for the good of the other. Sin against God is never for the good of the other. Turning away from life and love and forgiveness and reconciliation and embracing guilt and wrath and doom and despair, wrapped in a straitjacket of rationalizations and distractions, these things are never about the good of the other. Real love will point someone away from sin and death and to Christ, the gospel, life, and forgiveness. If that Christward call to repentant faith is absent... So is love. Actions that are contrary to the Bible are not loving actions. That just this week, I, I saw an article um, about a, a wealthy, fifty-four-year-old Connecticut woman who was recently sentenced in, in, in jail. And the article reads: Why she was sentenced in jail for secret, secretly recording three people, including a minor in a manner involving sexual desire and her lawyer who said the sentence was just was quoted as saying she's taken responsibility for her actions this is a very caring loving and sincere person no she's not that's not what loving people do that's not love the attorney is using loving here to describe her maybe to describe that her loving demeanor maybe she's soft-spoken or demure or you know whatever i don't know but she's not loving when you're doing something like that love is never contrary to god's law second love is sometimes hard love is sometimes hard verse 8 reads that anyone who does not love does not know god now that in itself is one of those sort of hard in your face statements it's very forthright very honest And love will often be hard. It will often be uh, something that even hurts a little bit. Again, the First Corinthians 13 passage tells us what love is, but the things listed there in First Corinthians 13 tend to be a little bit more on the 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 sort of the softer, gentler side attributes of love. Love love is sometimes a smack in the face. Uh, uh, It's it's blunt. It it might hurt a little bit. It's hard not meaning so much physically of course you, know, you think about someone who is um, maybe maybe you're in a big city with a subway and and some and you know one of the things that happens in big cities with subways is people who are wanting to take their life you know throw themselves in front of a, a train and so maybe you see someone standing on the on the rail tracks there um, wanting to end their life and and you come along and and you tackle them and and throw them off the tracks and the tackle may hurt may hurt them may hurt you maybe there are broken bones involved in that but you did it because you love people you you want to see people know god you, you care about them there's love there the bible says in the book of hebrews that god disciplines those whom he loves and that may be hard for some of you if, if you were I physically abused as a child to hear that that God as a father disciplines those whom he loves that may be hard for you to get your your head wrapped around I understand that but God's discipline is always done in a perfect way it's always done in a loving way it is love when it is done a matter of fact one of the most loving things God can do is frustrate your plans and my plans So that we become more dependent upon him and trust less in our in ourselves and our plans it certainly won't feel like it's love when your plans are thwarted by the providence of god but it's god's love in action so how does love act sometimes it's hard sometimes it might hurt but it doesn't mean it's not love and then third, and love acts like Jesus. Love acts like Jesus. Uh, verse 8 there gives us that three-word phrase, God is love. And since Jesus is divine, however Jesus acts is love. If, if you want to see what love looks like, read your Bible, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you'll see certainly gentleness, compassion, uh, a willingness to turn the other cheek, a willingness to be taken advantage of. And you'll also see boldness, confrontation, honesty, forthrightness, firmness. That's how love acts in personified in the Lord Jesus. And I want to give you a key word here as we think about this how love acts and that is the word death it's been said that at the heart of love is incarnation that leads to death at the heart of love is incarnation that leads to death so death is at the center of love we die to ourselves for the benefit of others that's love Love is a commitment to the good of another. Love is a commitment uh, to making someone else everything they were created to be. And, of course, what that requires is death to self. self desires, self's goals and agenda. Which is going to mean, then, that love is inconvenient, it's uncomfortable, requires time. Love acts like Jesus. And, of course, when we think about the Lord Jesus, we think about His death. In other words, maybe another way to say it, all of this is that love is seen in how God relates to us. So how does love act never contrary to God's law, sometimes hard, like Jesus? And then third and finally, how is love possible? Verse 7 and 8 again, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Love is only possible when you have been born of God. Without being made new, we lack that ability to love. To be born of God is to, is to be born again. And that means we have new abilities, new loves, new desires. And then verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. So the Bible says that you measure your love, the measure of your love reveals the depth of your relationship with God. So if you score poorly on that love test, where you put your name in there, First Corinthians 13, what it, what it teaches you is that you need God. But being born of God, you grow in love. Love is possible by being made new, by being born of God. These two verses, 1 John 4, 7, and 8, I actually learned as a child in a song. Um, I need probably somebody else in here. Um, my story briefly, um, I grew up as a CEO, meaning we attended a church Christmas and Easter only. And... My parents were then born of God. They were born again when I was about 10 years old. Again, before that, Christmas and Easter only. And so we started attending a church, and my mom and dad put me in a children's choir, which I'm very thankful for now because I love to sing, and I think I learned a lot about singing when I was there. But I learned this song... Um, beloved let us love one another for love is from god and everyone that loveth is born of god I learned it in the king james version of, of it and so i can still say it to this day because of that song that i learned in when i was a kid the reality is though it, it didn't really do anything until i was born of god So my parents became christians they started taking us to church but i had not grown up in the church i didn't understand anything but probably about a year or so after my parents became christians and i had learned a song or so, something like that, I prayed a life-changing prayer that God would forgive me of my sin, come into my life, and I was born of God. And things have never been the same. I'm certainly still imperfect in my love for God and for others, but it's there, and by the grace and mercy of God, it's improving. And I pray that Your Love will be there and improving as well. Let us pray. Perhaps you're here today and you'd confess that you haven't ever been born of God. And if so, I would encourage you to pray something like this silently to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I confess that I am a sinner. Please forgive me for all my sins. I trust in Jesus Christ alone to make me right with you. Please take control of my life and lead me from this day forward. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would enable us all to know you and your love. And I pray, O God, that you would teach us all how to walk as Jesus walked. Teach us, O Lord, how to love understanding, remembering Your great love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing as a hymn of response, number 198, Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates.